Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. As we concluded chapter one, we saw the disciples alone for the first time without the physical presence of the Lord Jesus. We saw them waiting in Jerusalem, meeting in an upper room where they had been staying. While they were waiting, they committed themselves to prayer and supplication, we see in verse 14, and to appoint a new disciple, a new apostle named Matthias, replacing Judas who had committed suicide. So the 12 apostles, along with the other 108 disciples, wait. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, Pentecost, this was one of the three feasts of Israel, their holy days, or if you like, holidays, which is really where we get the word from. A day or days set aside, because that's what holy means, right? Or to be holy means to, to be set apart. So days or feasts that were set apart, holy, sanctified for a religious festival when somebody is exempt from work or normal activity. And there are three main holidays, three main holy day periods. The first one was unleavened bread, also known as Passover, which celebrated the coming out of Egypt. How many of you remember that? The second feast was, was called first fruits, or feast of weeks, or the feast of harvest, or the feast of trumpets, or Pentecost. All of those terms communicated that same feast, which was a harvest festival. And it was actually the longest of the three festivals. The third festival was called Tabernacles. And Tabernacles had three portions or three parts to it. It was in the seventh month, and the first part was called Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, called Rosh Hashanah. The, the second portion of Tabernacles was called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, which was on the 10th, of, 10th day of the seventh month. And then the third part of Tabernacles was the 15th day of the month, seven days of dwelling in booths or tabernacles, which was called Sukkot. All of these three feasts totaled approximately six weeks in a year. How many of you would like to have six weeks off in a year? Or some of us who are involved in teaching actually have more. In short, the three main festivals can be summed up as Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. That's what they're most commonly known for. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, 
It says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. With regard to our text, Pentecost represents the interval between the first reaping of the crops and the full harvest. Hence, Pente, right, which is where we get our word pentagram, five, or Pentecost meaning 50. 50 days since the first fruits offering that was reaped was waved before the Lord by the priest. It was to be the first fruits or the first portion of the harvest that was to come. And we see the Lord Jesus fulfill the spiritual meaning of this particular feast in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 23 says, but each one in his own order. Who comes first? The first reaping. The first portion of the harvest, which is Christ, because he's the first one to raise from the dead. Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming. And that is exactly true, because the Lord Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead, whilst we and those who died before us are the remainder of the harvest, and will also rise from the dead. In similar fashion. Pentecost. And here they are. Gathered. Assembled or congregated. And we will come back to exactly where they are. Next week. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Notice. Not a moment earlier. Or a day late. God is well organized. And he has a time frame, amen, within which he works. And we need to make a note of that. Because we don't always get what we desire. I should say, first of all, we don't get what we want when we want it. But then God doesn't promise to meet our wants. He promises to meet what? All of our needs. But then sometimes our needs don't come when we would expect it to. But... The Lord inevitably is never late. But he's just got a time frame that he works according to. We need to note that. Because he has an agenda and it will do us well to appreciate this. Save us a whole heap of heartache. There's a place for patience. A place for sitting still. And here they are. Waiting on the Lord. And... The tarrying was soon to be over. Question, what was their attitude whilst they were waiting? Well, it says they were all with one accord in that one place. They were unified, men and women, in one place at the same time. But... Not just in one place geographically, but all in one place relationally. 
all together in one spirit. There was harmony, oneness, togetherness. It was Christ-centered community. There was no drama between Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. We looked at this when we were doing the lives of the disciples in our discipleship group. How many of you know the zealots, they weren't feeling the Roman establishment? And Matthew was a tax collector who collected taxes for Rome. So under normal circumstances, Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector ain't trying to get together. Yet, here we find them in the upper room, no drama. No beef between Justice and Matthias. Remember, Matthias was selected over Justice. At the end of chapter one, I mean, how would Justice have felt? Okay, we're gonna select, we've got to select someone, says Peter, who's gonna take the place of Judas, who by transgression fell and went to his own place. We've got to choose two. Who are we going to choose? Maybe the 11 got together and they were deliberating. Yeah, boy. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? Whoever it is, they've got to be someone who is with us right from the beginning, right from the baptism of John, right? So they're deliberating who they're going to choose. Oh, how about my man? Nah, you know what my man's like. Can't choose him, man. <laughs> He's saved and that. He's a good brother, but boy. I don't know if we can depend on him. And maybe this was the deliberation that they were having. And then they decide on the two, right? Justice and Matthias. And to be one of the two who's going to be selected now to represent Christ as an apostle. And as we saw, maybe these guys waiting in the wings all the time, never ever mentioned. But always there and faithful. Yet one has to be selected over the other. And it takes place. The lot falls with Matthias. Yet, no drama. Boy, I can't believe it. How they could pick my man over me. I mean, and this whole long list of why he should have been picked, picked, picked right? But no drama. He's not got them. And if he has got them thoughts going through his mind, you know what I'm saying? They're not affecting his relationship with Matthias, who now has picked, good for you, man. Praise God. <laughs> In a sense, I'm kind of happy because, boy, there's some big responsibilities coming your way, you know, bro. You know what I mean? No drama, no beef, no hostility between Jesus's, check it, Jesus's blood brothers, Mary's other sons, that is James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. No drama between them, Jesus's blood brothers, and the apostles. I mean, talk about cause for potential conflict. See, no drama. They were all with one accord. See, this ought to be emulated by all Christian communities, whether large or small like us, whether white or black, whether young or old. How many of you know that? You can tie two cats together by their tail and throw them over a clothesline. Now you got union, but you sure ain't got unity. 
See, and the question is, what are we like now that we're inextricably linked together in Christ? How do we relate to our brothers and our sisters? Sisters, how do you relate to your sisters? Brothers, how do you get down with your brothers? Well, whatever the reasons for drama, we need to leave them at the door. Amen? And not even, let me not even give the impression that, okay, we leave them, we come, in, we come in and we leave the gun, take our guns out and we leave them. You know what I'm saying? You get to go through the metal detector and they take out all your weapons and you come in, all right, then we're going to have peace while we're in here. But when you go out, then you pick up your stuff. We pick up our stuff. No, these things ought not so to be. May God help us to be unified in that same fashion, whether we drop the ball and we make mistakes or we've got a brother who thinks he's something, thinks he's things. You know what I mean? Let's just love one another. And if we need to correct one another, let's correct one another. But in love. You know what I'm saying? If you got all against your brother, Matthew 18, it says, don't go to the rest of the, the fellowship. Don't phone up your, your brethren. Don't phone up your unsaved friends and be talking about your brother or your sister. The Bible says, go to who? If you got all with your brother, go to them. You got, you got beef with your sister, go to her. And say, sis, you know what? Bruv, you know what? And, 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 and I know some of us have been there with tears running down your face, having to communicate through stumbling and trembling lips. You offended me. Or I come back to you and I say, you know what, bruv? Forgive me because I said this about you and you weren't there. Or whatever it is. May God help us. Well, the disciples, they're beginning to mature, aren't they? They've been thrown in at the deep end, and they're actually beginning to swim. And unbeknown to these who were gathered, here they are about to experience something that would radically change their lives forever. Then, unexpectedly, Verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Suddenly, without warning, there came a sound. Well, why not? It's what they had been waiting for. The Lord Jesus had said that the Spirit would come. The only thing is, he didn't say how. Maybe they could have expected that it would be the same as it was for the Lord Jesus at his baptism when the Spirit came. Remember? Gently, possibly, quietly, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove, right? With a voice speaking from heaven, it seems like only one person heard, was it going to be like that? Well, yes and no. There were some significant similarities. The experience did come from heaven. It did come from the sky more specifically. Just like the baptism of Jesus. 
It was the Spirit who came, and he came down upon from above. He came upon and into the disciples in the same way. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, if I could have your attention before we read, here's a question. <clears throat> How many of you know that there was a church before there was a church? It was called the church in the wilderness. Anybody know by who? Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, verse 38. The ecclesia or the congregation or the church that was in the wilderness. And it's been said that this was an Old Testament picture of something that God would do in the future. You heard me say it before. I'm not clever enough to make it up myself. I, I stole it. Novum Testamentum in Vetere Latet, which means the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. Talking about the old and the New Testament. Remember the children of Israel were in Egypt, which is a picture of the world. Under Pharaoh, who was a tyrannical slave master, who was a picture of the devil. Now these people, Israel, were enslaved and in bondage, right? And how did God deliver them? Well, he raised up a deliverer, a saviour. He raised up someone who was going to help get them out from under this bondage that they were in. And who was that? Moses. And God would use a particular way to actually eventually get them out. And it was through the blood of a lamb at the first Passover. When, when God's people had to get a lamb, sacrifice it. And paint and smear the blood of that sacrifice on the wooden, upright, and cross-beam doorposts of their house. The sacrificial blood splattered on upright wooden beams at Passover. Which was the same day that Christ was crucified on two upright wooden beams with his blood daubed all over them. And he was the lamb. Can you see the significance? And when they got in the house behind the blood, it prevented death from coming into their homes. When the angel of death saw the blood on the doorpost of that house, he passed over and he spared the life of the firstborn in that house. Judgment and death did not affect its power in that house that had the blood on the doorpost. In the same way that the blood of Jesus saves us from death. God's judgment passes over us, not because of our good works, not because of our good looks, not because of our color or our age or our cleverness. 
Death passes over us because of the blood of the lamb that was shed on the cross. See? It's an analogy. And so when Israel come out of Egypt, which is a picture of the world, they get saved from their slavery. In the same sense, we get saved or delivered from our sin, which was slavery, Romans chapter 8. When, when they come out of Egypt, out of bondage, guess who, even though they've been delivered from death in a sense, guess who's still chasing after them? Pharaoh. If you like, who could be a picture of the devil. Still chasing after them. See, he's the enemy of the people of God. Just like he's still chasing after you and me after we get saved. Now, let's not go too far with the analogy. Because we can take it too far. But notice what happens to Pharaoh, or at least the Egyptian army, after the children of Israel pass through the Red Sea. What happens to Pharaoh and the Egyptians? They're cut off. Something significant takes place at the Red Sea, and God says to the children of Israel, you see the Egyptians that you've seen? You will see them no more. Furthermore, never go back to Egypt. Do you think that could communicate something to us? About the world and about our sin and about the enemy of our soul? It's a powerful analogy of that which happens to us. Now, you've got your finger in 1 Corinthians 10, right? Look at verse 11. Now, all these things, what things? All these things happen to them as examples. Now, who are the them? In a context, it's the Israelites. Verse 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. Who's the our? Well, obviously, it was for them who it was written to, but it's also for us because it goes on to say, upon whom the ends of the age have come. Now, what was written? What are these things that happened? Go back to verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10. For those of you that never brought your Bible, shame on you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were, check it, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Can you see Two baptisms there. In the cloud and in the sea. We see this pattern at this baptism, at least in terms of the first part in Acts chapter 2. We don't necessarily see the sea part, but we see the cloud part. And hopefully it will make a little bit more sense in a minute. We see this pattern also at Jesus' baptism. A double baptism, right? A going down into the water and a coming down of the Spirit from above. 
In the Old Testament, we see a collective group, Israel, who are God's people with Moses as their head. Right? In the New Testament, we see another collective group, the church, who are God's people, but not with Moses, but with who? With Jesus, with Christ as the head. Here we see the Spirit descend like the, like the cloud in the Old Testament and envelop and baptize a whole group of people in this upper room. Later on in this chapter, we will hear the Apostle Peter say to individuals that they need to be baptized, but not in this sense, but how? They need to be baptized in water, which is the other aspect of the two-part baptism, if you like. This was to be... See, we have to remember what's happening here. This was to be the official inception or conception of the church. And it was all initiated and provided by the Godhead. It's wonderful. Notice the involvement of all three members of the triunity of God. The Lord Jesus had prepared the disciples for this moment. He taught and he instructed them. And help them navigate their way up to this point, right? And it was he that had said to them, go and wait in this particular place in Jerusalem. For the promise of who? All right, here comes the father. The promise of the father. The father was to be the one who would provide this amazing gift. And it, it wasn't a material gift even though it could produce material benefit. And it wasn't to be a temporary gift that would only last for a limited period. It would actually be a he, because the gift, as we said a few weeks ago, was a person. But not any old person. It would be the spirit. And here's the third member. One of the three members of the Trinity, the triunity of God, the Godhead. All three individuals who make up God. Father, Spirit, and Son. So we see the work of God in the lives of those who have believed up to this point. They followed Jesus. They were far from perfect. Remember, they had all deserted Jesus. They were all human, men and women. Yet this group, this very group, God would go on to turn the whole world upside down through or as someone has said turn the world right side up so two baptisms the primary one which is what we see here in Acts 2 is baptism into the body of Christ baptism into the body of Christ and I have to say emphasize that because I know for myself for years I really didn't understand this or appreciate it Baptism into the body of Christ. This is where a believer is placed into the body of Christ. And it's spiritual, not tangible in nature. It's not something that you feel, or something that you hear, or something that you see. And it happens the moment that you are regenerated, or born anew, or born from above, John 3, or born again. That's when it takes place. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 
says, In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of what? He's the promise. You were sealed. And this takes place when you believed. Through the gospel of your salvation. But it is also a baptism that inextricably links and unites you and me with each other. That is, with other believers in the body of Christ. You're immersed, just like in a baptism, if you think about water baptism, you're immersed, because that's what the word means. You know when you buy a kettle and it says, do not immerse. It's saying, do not baptize the kettle. It doesn't mean the kettle can't get wet, because obviously you're going to pour water in it, right? But you don't take the thing and stick it underneath the water and submerge it. Why? Because you would be baptizing it. And this is what happens by the Spirit when we believe. We are immersed into the body of Christ. And just like when you place a cloth, a piece of cloth is dipped or plunged or baptized into watery dye, D-Y-E. The cloth became one with the dye and the water. And the dye and the water become one with the cloth. The cream-colored cloth was now navy blue. Because the blue is in the cloth. And the cloth is in the blue because it's been baptized. You and me, we are now in the church. And the church is now in me and it's in you. We all become one. As the Spirit is in Christ and Christ is in the Father, they are one yet distinct. We, in similar fashion, when baptized with the Spirit into the body of Christ, we become one, one body, yet we're distinct. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 13 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but the all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all what? baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether Jamaicans or Polish, whether slaves or free, and we've all been made to drink into one spirit. This, out of the two baptisms, is the most important one. If you, haven't, if you haven't had this one, then the water, that baptism, is irrelevant. It's this baptism by the Spirit that makes the baptism in water significant. And there's a, a lot of confusion as to the experience of the baptism of the Spirit. Especially in the circles that I came out of, and maybe possibly some of you came out of. Particularly in charismatic, charismatic 
and Pentecostal circles. And it's because there is an expectation that whenever a person is baptized by the Spirit, that there should be some kind of evidence. Well, there is. I mean, really, it ought to be in our lifestyle and the way we conduct ourselves and whether or not we love one another. We may have gifts, but you know they're secondary. It's the fruit of the Spirit that is primary. See, there ought to be evidence, and there is, but it's not the kind that a lot of people are looking for. Many teach that you must tarry all night. Now, that's my early background. I say my early. I was Catholic, and then we switched over, and I became Pentecostal. And let me tell you, if you want the Holy Ghost, you better learn to tarry for that. All week, maybe possibly all month, definitely all night. I don't know, it's all nighter, right? Maybe even all year, you may have to tarry, if necessary, for the Holy Spirit. They say, because Jesus said it to the disciples. Therefore, as a disciple, it relates to me, they say. But you see, by virtue of that type of argument, all Christians would then also have to go to Jerusalem. See, many teach that there must be, in conjunction with that, there must be, The evidence of speaking in tongues. Otherwise, your baptism is not legitimate. See, they're not talking about being baptized into the body of Christ. It's a totally different type of baptism they're thinking about. They say, if you don't speak in tongues, then boy, I question really whether or not you have the spirit in on my brother. It's not legitimate. They're expecting the same thing that happened to the disciples in verse 4 of Acts chapter 2. Now, I remember being directly affected by these strange doctrines. I remember one time when Helen and myself just became Christians. It was like within, I don't know, a month. Okay? Now, you confess Christ as Lord. You believe in your heart. You know what I'm saying? And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Amen. Good. You're saved. But now, you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you, one night they nearly rub off the little bit of hair that I got left on my head. (laughs) Trying to pray for me to get the Holy Ghost. And you know, I'm not the type of person to just do what I'm told. You know what I mean? I think a lot of us are like that. That's why we find ourselves in this community. You know what I mean? And it's healthy to be a Berean. And not not just because you said it, am I just going to believe it? Thank the Lord. That was from early days. The Lord really... You know what I'm saying? Had his hand on our lives in that sense. And I'm not going to just do what you said because you said it. And, well, and pretend to make you happy. Repeat after me, they said. Shabalaba, 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 shabalaba. Just repeat that and it will come. You see, it's like learning to speak. It's like being a baby and having to learn a new language. Just repeat after me. All you have to do, brothers, take a step of faith, they said. Echoing some false teacher. An hour later, still no tongues. Just a lot of perspiration. 
and frustration. And we all recognize that, you know what? Let's buckle up because we're in for a long night. <laughs> this type of teaching has not been helpful over the years. Now, I've not heard anyone dogmatically demand that there be a rushing mighty wind or fire fall from heaven. But no doubt there are those who would expect this. I remember a little after that, we had a little prayer meeting in my house. I mean, literally just got saved, green light grass. But boy, reading the book of Acts, whew, look, this is what happened when they got together and they prayed. And we were there praying, all our eyes shut tight, and all of a sudden we heard, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry Helen's not in here, she'd back me up. We were like, oh no, guess what? Can you hear it? Can you hear what? Can't you hear it? The sound of a mighty rushing wind. See? I've not heard anyone dogmatically demand that that happen as being a part of a genuine experience that would legitimize one's baptism in the spirit. But I'm, uh, we did to some degree. But phew. we must remember this. This occasion is a unique moment here in the book of Acts chapter 2. The church is about to be birthed. It's about to be born. It's about to be inaugurated. It's a big event. So it isn't strange to expect a grand affair. At that point, it's very similar to that which took place at the inauguration of the church in the wilderness. Israel. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, it says, Now all the people witnessed, look, the thunderings. The lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, this was literal, they trembled and stood afar off. But you know what? This never happened like every week. It happened the once, and God bellowed from heaven, and the people were terrified. They'd be like, you know what, Moses? Please. Don't let God speak to us. You go and speak to God, and then you can come and tell us what he says. You know what I mean? And then that was the pattern. Unusual, unrepeated circumstances at the giving of the Ten Commandments. Notice in verse 2 of Acts chapter 2. It says, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It wasn't necessarily a wind, literally. It sounded like a wind. In John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, speaking to Nicodemus, right? I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind is a picture of the Spirit. The wind, in another tra translation, was actually like a voice. In the Young's literal translation of Acts chapter 2, verse 2, it says, And there came suddenly out of the heaven a sound as of a 
bearing violent breath. A breath without speech. Yet the utterance or the speech came out through the lips of those who were present a little later. As they were filled with, not the wind, but as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the filling is distinct from the baptism. The filling is distinct from the baptism. The filling is not the baptism as much as it's the result of the presence of the Spirit. You might feel I'm being pedantic, but I do share this for a point. The filling of the Spirit, not the baptism of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit is going to be an ongoing, regular and constant experience, which needs to be defined, and we will look more closely at that when we get to chapter 4. They're all filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues or languages, verse 4. But not every occurrence of the infilling of the Spirit led to individuals speaking in tongues. It happens sometimes, but not all the time. Again, we will deal with this in detail later as we journey through Acts. Verse 3 of chapter 2. Then there appeared to them divided tongues. Look, another as of or like fire. And one sat upon each of them. Do you remember Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3? Moses is standing there and he sees this bush on fire. But he stops and he has to turn aside. Oh, wait a minute, take a look. A, a second look. Because although it's burning, like I think these forest fires in, is it Australia at the moment? I mean, so different a fire. Because those fires are consuming those trees. And I think even people, I think 25 people have died. 60. Wow, nearly 70 people have died. See, that's what real fire does under normal circumstances. Yet Moses is looking at this tree and it's not burning. It's burning, but it's not burning. It's on fire, but the, the tree itself is not being consumed. It was literal fire, but it didn't burn the bush. It says here there were divided tongues or flames as of fire or like fire. It wasn't necessarily literal fire, but it looked like fire. Or it was literal fire that didn't burn. Same thing that's happening here in the upper room. Whatever way you look at it, it was supernatural, right? And very often, we see it in the book of Revelation as well, the prophet has to describe things that he can't describe. He can only tell you what it looks like. And he gives and provides you with a simile. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what are we seeing take place in Acts chapter 2? 
Well, we're seeing one of a two-part baptism. Remember the second being baptism in water. But this baptism with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered, saying to all, remember this? I indeed baptize you, says John the Baptist, with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, that seems to make sense. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It was going to happen after the Lord Jesus was resurrected and ascended, which is exactly what we've seen. Remember Genesis chapter 9, where there was a similar occurrence, where a group of people who were unified, united, one mind, one purpose. They had one language. Let us make a tower that reaches up to heaven. Let us establish a name for ourselves. And the scripture says the Lord came down and frustrated and scuppered their plans. Particularly by confusing their language. Babel, which is where we get the word babble. Right? It's just babbling, you're chatting breeze, right? <laughs> Babel was, the, the Bible contributes to so much in terms of our society. Babel was divided by the spirit who came down. The church, on the other hand, were united by the spirit as he came down. In Acts chapter 2, we see the opposite to that which took place in Babel. God bringing unity in the midst of different languages. God bringing unity in the midst of different languages. Now that's deep. I'm going to end by reading a portion of Ephesians chapter 4. Now I want you to listen to this carefully in the light of all that we've talked about with regard to the baptism of the Spirit, which we experienced when we got saved. It's not something that we have to tarry for. We're going to talk about next time the fact that we need to be filled with the Spirit continually. Paul says, be being filled. Keep being filled with the Spirit. But why? Listen to Ephesians 4. And, huh, wow, okay. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read. Turn to Ephesians 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's 32 verses, which should take us less than five minutes. 
But listen to this chapter based on all that we have just heard. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. How? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring not to create, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, if you like, into the body of Christ. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of the promise, the Holy Spirit or Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, sorry, and he himself gave some to be apostles. Some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. You see, it's for all of us to do the work. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man or a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. That we should no longer be children like Matthias and Justus arguing over who got chosen. Or like Jesus' brothers feeling like, well, you know, I was his brother. I lived with him. How comes I never got a position? You'd be like, I've been going to this church for like four years. No one ever asked me to lead a Bible study. I'm a part of this fellowship and no one don't ever phone me. So you know what? Bond them. Forevermore, I just go and find another church. See, God's desire is that we get to that place where we mature. It's not that we ignore those things. We have to deal with them things. Because I know that as much as myself, Ephraim and Patrick, we try our best, we flop. And we apologize for those times that we do. But we've got to work together. We've got to support one another. You know what I mean? It's one thing standing on the sideline and pointing a finger and saying, you know what? That's not right or this ain't right. Fix that and you lot are jokers. It's one thing saying that and it's another thing putting the shirt on and getting, getting in the game. Now, I don't mind if you say that if you're in the game. I'll be like, man, you're right, you know. That really does need to be fixed. That really needs to be changed. If you're in the game and you've got the shirt on and you're on my team. But if you're on the sideline pointing a finger, I mean, who is trying to hear that? No one ain't trying to hear that. 
But if you've got that shirt on, and I'm in, uh, we're on the same team, and I can say that, oh, come on, bruv, you're slipping. Come on, man, you need to fix that up. Yeah, you're right, bruv, amen. Because we're on the same team. See? The desire is that we should no longer, verse 14, be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning <coughs> excuse me, craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together, together, by what every joint supplies See, every single one of us has something to contribute. Like a body has bones and veins and sinews and muscles and a brain and eyeballs and ears. Every part contributes. My, my toes ain't complaining because they're not seen. I'm fed up of being in shoes, man. I want to be a hand. You know what I mean? No, the body just works together. They realize their part and they play their part. How about my... Look, some of the most important parts of my body... Are invisible. Talk about the toes. At least they come out when I go to Spain, right? And I got flip flops on. But, but how about the, how about my important parts, like my heart and my liver and my kidneys? They're never seen. Yet you know what? They don't mind. They just get on with their job. See, it's necessary. The whole body, verse sixteen, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Every part has a part to contribute, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. God's desire is that we be able to, like a body. Oh my goodness, like a Usain Bolt. That's how God wants the body to function. Where was I? Verse 17. This I say, therefore, based on all of that and testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. That shows you that Christians can walk like unbelievers. But we ought not to. It doesn't mean that we're unbelievers, but we ought not to. No longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God they are because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, this ought not to describe us, being past feeling, having given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. You've not so learned Christ. We know better than that. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. See, my man's like, whoa, we've got to really ask the question. If you're acting like that, you know, do you really know him? You know what I'm saying? Have you really heard and understood what Jesus has been saying and be acting like that? Come on now. Swift rebuke, right? For a believer that just helps them get back into, the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. If indeed you have heard him and you've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, come on now, that you put off concern in your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created. You know, sometimes you've got to put this on. 
You don't feel like it, but it's got nothing to do with your feelings. We walk by faith and not by sight, which is a sense. We don't walk by our senses. We don't walk by our feelings. We sometimes do, and then we make mistakes, and we have to go back to the Lord. And it, Lord, forgive me. I can't believe I did that or I said that. Forgive me. My sister, my brother, forgive me. Wow. Put on the new man that was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, set apartedness. Therefore, putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. As much as it will hurt. For we are members of one another. If my hand says, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm not going to pick up the food and put it in the mouth. Mm -mm. The mouth can try and find our next way to get the food in its mouth. Who, am, who is the hand hurting? It's hurting itself, right? Because it's a part of the body. We are members of one another. Be angry. I love this verse. Thank you, bro. Five more minutes. What, to the hour, right? Hallelujah. Under an hour. Be angry. You know I've been trying, right? You lot must be praying for me. <laughs> be angry and do not sin. I love this verse. Because it doesn't say that you can't be angry. You know what I mean? Sometimes you can't help but be angry. But be careful. Easy now with that anger. Or what? Easy with that road rage. You might jump out the car and get hit by a tire tool and end up in hospital. I heard someone got someone went on a bouncy castle. I was telling me yesterday, I went around to a friend's. They had a party. This is why I always go over my time. They had a party. <laughs> and they invited all the kids to come around. The kids came around, I keep it short. And they were bouncing on the bouncy castle. One of the kids kicked another child in the head, accidentally caused permanent brain damage. And check it, the family of the child that got injured sued the other family for a million pounds. And they're having to pay that off like a mortgage. <laughs> and that was, someone invited them around to have a good time. But this happened. It was here. It was here. You know, you know that, that, that stuff happens in America, you don't even blink. Because you know that's how they get down, right? But that happened here, and we're becoming more like that. You've got these people, they stop you in Lewisham and say, have you ever had an accident? And try and get the, to claim that money back, right? Now, why did I tell that story? One another. Be angry and sin not. Kick, head, damage. Anger, that's right. You jump out of your car, think in, in anger. Thank you, hallelujah, oh my goodness. I would not have got that one back, you know. That was gone. That was gone. Oh my, was it gone again? Was it? You jump out your car in anger, in a fit of rage. You might end up paralyzed. I mean, nowadays, I mean, kids got guns out on road. Be angry, but hold it down. Do not sin. And married people particularly, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Swiftly moving on. Nor give place, because this links with being angry and sinning and letting the sun go down on your wrath. I don't business, I'm going to, I don't care, I'm sleeping downstairs. Look, you give place to the devil. Imagine opening the front door and saying, hey, Lucifer, come. 
There's the, there's the kitchen, this is the dining room. Make yourself at home. When you go to your bed, angry with your spouse, and obviously it's so many applications of that. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for... Ne- the only things that should come out are that which is good for necessary building up, strengthening and encouragement, edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Look, the result of not doing these things, verse 30, grieving the Holy Spirit by whom we've been sealed, by whom we've been baptized into the body of Christ. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom, oh, he says it, look, who was sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Do we have any excuse for not loving one another, for not being unified? We don't have to make it happen. It's already happened. Let's enjoy it. You know what I mean? Let's allow it. And let's allow that to thrive and be a hotbed amongst us. It takes work. It takes commitment. It takes the power of God and the grace of God at work in our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus made a promise to his disciples. And just as always, he kept that promise and he sent the Holy Spirit from heaven. What an occasion that was. What an amazing start to an amazing journey for the church. And as Jesus said, he would build his church and the gates of hell, which is death, it would never prevail over the church. Here we are today. Jesus, again, just being father, consistent with his promises. And so, since this is your heart, Ephesians 4, as communicated through the Apostle Paul, Lord, help us to allow this, your heartbeat, to become our heartbeat, to become a reality in our midst. Not just stuff that we read about, not just black ink on white paper. Lord, allow this to become a reality. Help us to submit to your will. Help us, Lord, to allow you to fill us with your spirit. That means sometimes we have to get some stuff out in order to make room for ourselves to be filled by your spirit, Lord. And it's not amazing gifts. It's not amazing talent. You give those things, Lord, and you don't take them back. Even when people are really are in sin, they can show great talent and great gifts. But, Lord, the fruit of the spirit... Lord, we can't have the fruit of the Spirit unless we have the Spirit. So help us. Now that he's here, he's come with a bang in Acts chapter 2. Now that the Spirit is here, Father, I ask that you would help us to avail ourselves, because we sure enough need it. Help us to avail ourselves of all that he will provide in order that we might be all that you desire for us to be, which is unified all together in one accord, in order that you might then send us like, you do this, like you're going to do this with the disciples. Send us, Lord, into all the world, wherever that might be.
in order that your kingdom might come and that your will may be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just stand with me, please. I'm not done.